Welcome to East Columbus Christian Church. We are continuing in our series, Redeemed, this morning. And to start off, I'd like to tell you about a story. He lived in the country, just a young boy, and uh, they didn't have much. They were very, very, um, very poor, and so they did not have indoor plumbing, and they had to use uh, an outhouse. Does anybody remember the outhouse? Okay, very good. Just checking. Uh, it was it was hot in the summertime. It was cold in the wintertime. He hated it. It was always smelly, and he just absolutely hated it, and it was located near the creek, and so the boy decided, I can get rid of this once and for all, so he decides, I'm going to do my best to push the outhouse into the water. Well, a spring rain comes, and the waters rose, and he thought, here's my chance, and so the boy pushes the outhouse, and he didn't think anybody was watching him at the time. He pushes the outhouse into the creek. Later that night, his dad comes to him and says, uh, son, I need to talk to you. We're going to take a little trip behind the woodshed. Well, the boy knew exactly what this meant, and he asked his father why, and his dad replied, because someone pushed the outhouse into the creek, and I think that someone was you. Was it? And the boy responded by saying, yeah, Dad, it was me. But, but remember, when George Washington's father asked him if he chopped down the cherry tree, he told the truth, and so he didn't get punished because he told the truth. And the dad said, yeah, that's correct, but George Washington's father wasn't in the cherry tree when he cut it down. You know, uh, we've all blown it, haven't we, uh, in our lives? We've all messed up once or twice, sometimes uh, even more uh, than that at different times in our lives. And so um, uh, we, we have this, um, I don't know, we have this um, mindset that, that, that we want to live in, in our past. I don't know if you've struggled with this or not. I'm sure all of us have regrets. All of us have sinned at one time or another, and we, we had this tendency that we want to uh, live in the past, and sometimes we look back at our past more than we look at what's coming ahead of us. And I and I heard Steve Harvey say this one time, and I don't know if it was original with him or not. Not that I get a lot of spiritual advice from Steve Harvey, uh, but I do watch a lot of Family Feud. Uh, he said this. He said, "You are living your life looking through the rearview mirror instead of out of the windshield." There's a lot of people who are living their lives that way, uh, but this is how the Apostle Paul said it. I'll take more spiritual advice from him than Steve Harvey, even though Steve was right on the one. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And so Paul is saying, listen, guys. You, you, you're looking up to me right now because I'm an apostle and, and I'm, I'm writing to you and you're looking up to me, but I want you to understand I have not achieved it yet. I have not arrived, right? The destination to which God has called me, I'm not there yet. It's still before me. It's a work in progress. And, and, and he says, but I'm committed to that. I'm committed to striving for that. And I'm committed to allowing God to work in me. And so I'm going to keep following him. But one way that I can keep following him is forgetting about what has happened in the past. Right? He, he's not... He's not making the decision to somehow sidestep the responsibility, but instead he's looking and he's saying, I'm confident that I serve a God 
who has great things in store for me. And so I'm not going to focus on these things that are here in my past. I'm going to focus on these things that God has ahead for me in the future. He knew that if he spent his days focused on the things that happened in the past, he wouldn't be prepared for what God had for him in the present or in the future. And it's possible that there are some of you who are sitting out here this morning in this surface service, and, and you've done some things that maybe. Maybe at the time they seemed fun. Uh, maybe at the time they seemed even okay. They seemed right. They might have even seemed good. But here you are years later and you're looking back at those and go, wow, did I buy into Satan's lie? Wow, is this not fun? Is this not good? Is this not right? And so you're, so you're living with the regret of a decision that at the time you seemed like was the right thing to do. There might be some of you who are sitting out there this morning. You're dealing with the sin. You just can't seem to get past. There's something that you seem to do over and over and over again. And you pray for forgiveness and you make deals with God that you're never going to do this again. You say, God, if you just, you know, you just help me with this, this one time, I promise I'm not going to do it again. And, it, and, and then you don't get too far down the road and that sin rears its ugly head once again. And then you feel like you're carrying this big old weight on your shoulders you say, I knew I couldn't do it. I got, you know, not only do you have this sin that you've just committed, but you've got this past that tells you you're not going to be anything different than what you've done your whole life. And there might be some of you who are dealing with a sin that, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's something that you said to someone. Maybe you said something in the heat of the moment. Someone that you said something to someone that you loved, and you didn't mean it at the time. It just kind of came out. Has anybody ever been there? Well, I mean, well, you might have meant it at the time. <laughs> but then when you think about it, you're like, man, that was just not right. That was not God-honoring. That was not good at all. And because of that one thing that you said at the time you thought you were okay saying, it has hindered the relationship that you now have with somebody that you care very much about. Some of you, maybe you've made decisions in the past that are kind of catching up to you. You know, maybe some things are starting to come out now and uh, it's kind of catching up to you. Even though you know you've been forgiven of it, it's still kind of like you're looking over your shoulder, you know, thinking, oh, no, it's good. Someone's going to find me out. They're going to find out what I, I did. Right. And you just regret it. I know a lot of people that unfortunately they failed in some way. And then years later, years later, here's where they find themselves. Maybe they've let a spouse down. But their spouse has forgiven them, and maybe even their children has forgiven them, and even God has forgiven them, but they just can't forgive themselves, and they're, they're struggling, and there's this aching sense of just, just failure. You know, I failed, I've blown it, and I just can't get over it, and there's, there's some who look at their own kids and think, man, if I'd just done a better job of parenting my kids. They wouldn't have turned out the way that they did. I know a lot of Christians who are like King David. King David, man, he struggled. And he wrote this one time, in his struggles, I want you to think about what the man after God's own heart had to say about his struggles. My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy. To bear. Here's the good news. God never intended for you to bear that 
burden all by yourself. In fact, he even created a way for that burden to be completely lifted. And here's what happens sometimes. We have that burden lifted and we go on living our lives. And then all of a sudden, I find some people who find themselves wanting to get involved in church. They want to get involved in ministry of some kind. But they say, man, I feel unworthy. After everything that I've done, there's no way that God can use me for his service. There's no way after everything that I've done, I'm not a good mentor for young ladies. I'm not a good mentor for young men. Oh, I really want to have a good mentor marriage, and I'd love to demonstrate what God's done in my marriage, but all of the times that I've blown it, I'm no one to talk about what it could be, what it could mean to have a good marriage. You know what's happening when people find themselves like this? Some of these things that I've described, they can't get past their past. They're letting their past dictate what's going on in, in their lives. And they fail to realize that once you have given your life to Christ, once you have been baptized into him, the Bible says you are redeemed. You are a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. Like we talked about last week, you have become a brand new person. Here's what I need you to understand here this morning. I want you to hear me loud and clear on this. Every single person that God has ever used throughout all of history has a past. Every single person. One thing that I love about the Bible is it's filled with messed up people. When you read scripture, there's not a single person that God ever used that had their act all together, that completely had it all together. And that gives me a lot of hope. And I believe with all of my heart that through the redeeming power of God, through his son, Jesus Christ, God wants to help you get past your past and use you to further the kingdom of God. And you need to understand that because that Jesus paid the price for our sins, he redeemed you. He paid the price for your sins because he went to the cross and he died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. We've been bought back by God and we belong to him. You're his daughter who the son sets free, is free indeed. You're a child of God. You're his son. You're his daughter. And here's what that means for us today. Here's what it means to be considered a son or a daughter of God, to be redeemed. It, it assures us that no sin is too big for God's grace. Right? There's no sin that's too big for God's grace. I want you to say this with me. Would you put that on the screen? And we're going to say this together. No sin is too big for God's grace. Grace. Say that one more time just so you get it. No sin is too big for God's grace. I don't care what you're dealing with in your life. There's nothing that Jesus looks at that and says, you know what, I just don't know if I can cover that one or not. There's not a single sin. The Bible talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is basically said, I don't believe in you, God. As long as you have breath and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what you've done, you can be forgiven of your sin. There's nothing. Your biggest sin, none of them, is too big for God's grace. I've been a Christian now for over 42 years. I'm old. At least getting there. Some of you are sitting out there. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm getting old. 
But one of the things that I've witnessed in my lifetime is this, and it, and, it, and it happens in the church. I've been in the ministry now for almost 30 years. One thing that I have seen down through the years is a ton of people who are living their lives claiming to be Christians, and I believe that they are, but they're allowing guilt to consume them. That mindset is not from God. It comes from Satan. I think there's a healthy guilt that we can have when we initially sin. I think we, you know, oh, you did that wrong, and, and Ron, now you need to not do that again. I think there's a healthy guilt when we initially sin, and that spurs us to repentance. But once we've been forgiven of our sin, we need to do our best to just forget about it, right? Or as the great Disney theologian Elsa said, let it go. Right? You never thought I'd quote Elsa in a sermon, did you? Hey, if I can do Steve Harvey, right, we can do Elsa. Here's what's happening sometimes. We are so ridden with guilt that it leads to self-loathing. And then what happens is we, we start thinking poorly of ourselves. We start pushing ourselves way down. We start thinking so badly about ourselves, and we have such a low view of ourselves that then we turn to other things to make ourselves feel better and get over this self-loathing. And I think this is where a lot of our addictions come in. I mean, I'm not an addiction specialist or a counselor or anything like that, but I believe that is what is at the root of most everybody's addictive behaviors is we have this guilt, we have this self-hatred. And there's another word that I think, you know, is, is, well, some think is bad, but I think it can actually be pretty amazing. It's this word called conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, there, that's that initial guilt that I was talking about just a moment ago. I think it's a beautiful thing because what it leads to is us changing our lives. When the Holy Spirit convicts us that you need to do better, you need to not do that anymore. And if we're listening to that Holy Spirit in our lives who's making us feel guilty about the wrong choice that we made, it can lead to repentance. Listen to what 1 John 1, 9 says. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. From all wickedness. It, it, it's like there's this formula, right? Jesus has set forth this formula in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, if we do this, then what? Then God is faithful, right? He's faithful and God is just. And then according to John, here's what he's going to do. He's going to forgive us of our sins and he's going to purify us from all unrighteousness. He's going to wipe the slate clean completely from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but this has got to be one of the most powerful scriptures in the entire Bible. Our past is gone. How many of you remember the Etch-a-Sketch? Anybody ever have an Etch-a-Sketch? I, I, uh, I actually have one with me today. Right, and uh, um, check this. This is incredible. <laughs> this is this is like an original one. I reached out to a couple of people, and uh, Lauren's. I think it was her grandmother had this. This is like this is this is probably worth about a million dollars right now on eBay. And and uh, I said, have you have you got an etch a sketch? And she brought this to me because I wanted to point this out to you. You know, um, they were so cool. They were so cool when you're. I mean, it's kind of like the 1970s iPad, right? I mean, it's kind of similar, right? 
But anyway, you have this Etch-a-Sketch, right? And, and you turn the knobs on it, right? Everybody remember that? Some of you who are a little bit younger, it's like, what in the world? That is not cool at all. But here's the deal. I would turn the knobs on this thing, and I would try to make something artistic or something cool or something that people could see and all I would get would be like a line or a box or something like that and if I was really cool I could get another box just outside of the other box but it was always not very good and but here was the here was the cool thing about the etch-a-sketch if I start on something that I'm trying to make and I goof up you know what I get to do and it's all gone there are some people that are amazing at Etch-a-Sketches. I was looking, I thought, let's, let's look some of these up because there's got to be people better than me. So I looked some up, and, and here's, look at this first one. This is amazing, right? How in the world does somebody do that with an Etch-a-Sketch? It's the Beatles, you know? I mean, how in the world can you do that, right? Look at this one. And this is my favorite one. This is Michael Jordan one here. This is cool. That is, is really cool, right? But here's what we do, right? Not that we do this necessarily with an Etch-A-Sketch, but we might. We look at our own Etch-A-Sketch, and we think, I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be that good, right? But here's the deal. God has never set the standard at what someone else does on an Etch-A-Sketch. He set the standard on what Jesus did for you on the cross. Every time I'd try to make a picture with an Etch-A-Sketch or design some kind of something, I'd mess up. I could shake it up. It was all done. The old version was gone, and I could start all over again. And here's what I would do sometimes. I'd just start and just go on most of the time. I would never think back to, Ron, you're such an idiot for that last design that you tried to make on your Etch-A-Sketch. You're so bad. You're so horrible. No, I would just go on to the next thing and keep right on rolling and mess up again. Shake it again and go on. But some of us, we don't realize that God kind of has us on his Etch-A-Sketch. And because of what Jesus did at Calvary, the slate's clean, right? What is it that's on your Etch-A-Sketch with God? Mine, can I be honest with you? I assume you want that from me. I don't know. Um, anger sometimes. I get angry at things that maybe I shouldn't get angry about. There's times I've dealt with resentment from people. Um, hurt, bitterness sometimes towards people that I thought should have acted a certain way and didn't. Feelings of being betrayed by someone and so because I felt like they let me down, I just wiped them clean from my Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> right. What's on yours? Liar? Maybe a promiscuous past. Maybe you're incredibly envious of other people. I think that's probably the number one thing 
with most people today, thanks to good old social media, is, man, everything's put out there, and we feel like we got to keep up, and we feel like we got to act a certain way and look a certain way, and so we're envious of other people. The Bible says that God is faithful and just and will forgive our sin, but here's the deal. He doesn't just stop there. Listen to what Jeremiah 31, 34 says, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. That's pretty cool, isn't it? The all-powerful, the ever-present God makes a choice of His will to limit His memory forever about my sin. He says, I will remember your sins no more. If you want to get Past, and I pray that you do. If you want to get past your past failures, you have to recognize that because you've been redeemed, there is no sin that you have ever committed or no sin that you'll ever commit that's too big for God's grace. Now, that doesn't mean you get a free ticket to go out and do whatever you want to do. And say, oh, God's grace is going to cover it. That does mean that Jesus paid the price. He purchased you once and for all. He doesn't have to keep repurchasing. He's already done that. Now, here's the second thought. If you're taking notes, write this down. I think this is pretty, pretty amazing. Being redeemed assures us we are not what we have done. So even if we've been forgiven of the sin that's in our lives, you need to understand that the sin of your past does not define who you are. Your identity is not in your mistakes, right? You are the product of who God says you are. And we sang about that just a moment ago. Laura led us in a beautiful song. Who the sun sets free. I'm chosen. Awesome. That's what defines you. But what we do is we allow our past to define us. We allow our sins to define us sometimes. Right? See, Satan tries so hard to get us to personalize our sin. You ever notice that? He tries to get us into the mindset where the things that we have done is how we see ourselves to be, right? In other words, I didn't just commit adultery. I am an adulterer, and I will always be an adulterer, right? I've taken some things that didn't belong to me, and so I'm a thief, and I'll always be a thief. I like the way Craig Groeschel put it. He says, failure is an event. It's never a person. You are not a failure. That's powerful stuff, church. And some of you need to, you need to understand that this morning. You need to let that soak in. Last week, we mentioned how in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul wrote this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That means that last week when Olivia McGuire came to church in the first service, she walked in one person, but then she was baptized into Christ, and she walked out of here a completely different person. That means... That Matthew Kennedy this afternoon at 4.30, he's going to come in here in this church this afternoon and he's going to be baptized into Christ and he's going to leave this place a new person. That means that Sawyer Heaton this Friday-ish, somewhere around there, 
He's going to be a new person. He's going to come in Friday. He's going to leave a new person. And those guys haven't even done much wrong. I mean, I know mom and dad can say, you know, there's days where, you know, I know the Bible says you're not supposed to, you know, kill someone. But there's days, you know. Um, These guys are so young, they really haven't even messed up that much. But yet they understand, they have that childlike faith that says, I'm a new person. You can have that same thing. Anyone who is in Christ is a new person. The old life is gone. The new has begun. Let's imagine for a moment you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're sitting out there and you don't know him. You don't even know if he knows you. Maybe you're just kind of kicking the tires on this Christianity stuff. Investigating. I don't know if I want anything to do with it or not. Maybe you don't even believe that there's a higher power to that. I don't know. But you're sitting out there and you're pretty confident you're not a follower of Christ. Here's the bad news for you. If, if that is you, then you are defined by your sin. Because here's the deal. Outside of Jesus, outside of the cross, outside of the bloodshed, we got nothing to hope for. We're literally, the Bible says, a prisoner of sin. And so that does define you. However, the Bible also says if you belong to Christ, you become a new person. The old life is gone. Behold, all things have been made new. The things that you do don't define you. If you are in Christ, you are made new. If you know Jesus, you are not what you've done. It doesn't define who you are. And there's no sin that's too big for God's grace. And here's the third thing, very quickly. Being redeemed assures us that even though we can't change the past, don't you wish we could? Don't you wish we could go back and change it? But we can't. We can't change our past. It's literally impossible. But Jesus can change our future. You can't change your past, but Jesus can change your future future. The risen Christ can give you a new hope, can give you a new peace, can give you a new life. And I don't know, maybe something has happened in your past that's beyond words. Maybe it wasn't even something that you did. Maybe it was something that someone did to you. I wish you could change that. But you can't change what happened. But Satan wants to get in our heads and he wants to point that bony little finger at us and make accusations and say, that thing that that person did to you, that's, that's who you are. And he wants to remind us of our past. And Spencer will resonate with this. There was a singer in the 80s and 90s. His name was Carmen. I don't know if anybody remembers Carmen or not. But he always said this, when the devil reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future. He's got no authority over you. The Bible says he roars like a lion. 
doesn't say he is a lion. says he just roars like a lion. You ever notice that Satan is always trying to be as much like God as he possibly can, but then he doesn't quite get there? Well, the Bible refers to Jesus as the lion of Judah, that he is a lion. Satan is just acting like one, and he's got no power over you. And you need to understand that this morning. You tell him, you're, you tell Satan, Satan, you are absolutely nothing. You've been defeated by Christ. The risen Christ lives inside of me in the same power that defeated you on Easter Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. It lives in me, and you've got no power on me. What's happened is gone, Right? It's in the past, but we've got futures to look forward to, and the Bible says he's working in all things. Romans 8, 28, he works all things together for our good and for his glory, for them that love the Lord. And so he's taken even the bad things, and he's working them for our good and for his glory to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen again to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians three twelve through 15. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I press on. I forget the past. That's the same formula that should work for us today as well. Press on. Forget the past. Understand that no matter what you've done, he will forgive you. Would you just lay those sins at the foot of the cross? Would you stop letting those things define you? Would you rest in the comfort of knowing who you are in Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. I want to read this as the worship team comes uh, and gets ready to lead us in a song. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 tells us that we were bought with a price. See, there was a, there was a price to get this redemption. There was something that had to be paid for us, and we were bought with a price. And Jesus bought us back. He redeemed us. But it was at a very high price. A price that we couldn't afford. It cost him his life. And so today, as we look at what Jesus paid for us by giving us his all, it's my prayer that we return that love to him by giving him our all. Here's what 1 Corinthians says exactly. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body, your very self. And I like the way Paul put that. He says, for God bought you with a price, so you must honor God. He didn't say you were bought with a price, so you might want to think about honoring God. He said you must. This is our response. 
If we want to be redeemed, we honor him by surrendering ourselves to him, repenting of our sins, and being baptized into him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And if you're here today and you're struggling, you're struggling getting past your past, maybe today you want to make that decision to... uh, to confess Jesus, to repent of your sins, to be baptized into Him. That's where it starts. The Bible says you're a new person. But for those of you who have made that decision already and you're just struggling with those things, would you rest in the promises of God? Do you believe God's Word is true? Then listen to it. Obey it. You were bought with a price. And start honoring him with yourself. Let's pray together. Lord.